Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. All right, welcome back to Wild Black. This welcome is your back, boy, welcome Art. back. What's up, everybody? This is Vince with you again. In the building. And we got another amazing, dope episode. Super dope. For you. Coming right at you right now. All right, first, jumping straight in. Okuri okay, Cello Johnson. Sounds like you should be saying my fighting weight after that. Right. Yeah. yeah in the yeah. green trunks coming in at yeah, 145 yeah, yeah. pounds. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> oh, Corey. Okay. Cello Johnson. Man, that's a name. Ain't it? Mm. It's kind of dope, ain't it? Ain't it? Mm. Ain't it? Y'all going to really understand why it was so dope in a second. All right. He's an American cellist songwriter who has been playing his instrument since the age of seven is now considered a masterful communicator and storyteller. That's a long time. Ooh. Yeah. To play. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I'm fucking. He is both an educator and a musician who has performed and recorded with major label artists such as De La Soul, India Ari, Big Boy, not to mention he enjoys a career as a soloist with two dope albums to his credit. His latest, Resolve, offers a healing balm of hope. And I, I definitely want to hear a little bit more about what Ooh. that means. Yeah, yeah. Before we jump into the wild black shit, sorry why he didn't flip it up again. What, what, what did you do with Big Boy? How did that work? Was that like his yeah, hip-hopper so thing that he was it's working a, it's on? A, it's actually a complicated little something because, well, you know, I have a, uh, I got a brand, I got an image that's kind of like family-friendly, educator, you know. Big Boy, Big Boy's real with it, you know what I mean? So, right. You ain't His, gonna pop uh, that pussy for a real nigga, Chip. I understand. I understand. He, uh, that, um, <laughs> Kill Jill, you know, that, that oh, song. Oh, yeah. yeah. So dope. I'm not on the album cut. I'm on the video. So you know how the video starts with this long kind of cello intro? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's me. Yeah, that's oh, me. that's dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's really cool. Well, look, tell the folks. I mean, we already introed you. Right. Yeah, tell yeah. them a little bit more. About you. you. Just the fact. Let me, let me be right. very, very clear. Folks, this is Wild Black. You know how we do. We have a black cellist in the building today. How many of those do you know? Well, now you know. Oh, Corey. Okay, cello. Johnson. Johnson. That's it. That's it. The last Johnson. man. You know Johnson. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. There's no mistake. Johnson. Like, he on the, the grill black, with the real. Yeah, the black film reunion. Johnson, right. right? right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I've been playing since I was six. We said seven. It's it's I was a, m- a month away, like a month or two away from seven. Okay. Right, right uh-huh. around. The, so it's pretty much seven. Six. Um, we give them six. all this credit. Yeah, we're giving everything. I uh played classically, you know, mostly through high school. Right. Um went to Morehouse and wasn't gonna play. I you know, there's a story we'll probably get into it, but right. the reality is I put the cello down. HBCU alum. Yeah, HBCU alum, right? Uh put the cello down when I was sixteen or seventeen, only to pick it up like a week later because my senior recital, my senior well, my orchestra director wanted me to do a senior recital. Anyway, so that was a big deal. It was like a twenty minute piece in front of an orchestra, a lot of fun. But at that point I put it down. And my career, this part that we're talking about now, started at Morehouse when I was coming back from 
a, an orchestra rehearsal. They had an orchestra for non-majors. Um, you know, some good players there, but people who weren't super serious about it because they didn't have a program at that UC. Had my cello on my back because I was coming back from rehearsal. And then this dude I knew, I didn't know him well, was on his balcony. I, was, I stayed in like the... Well, I don't. I don't really like to use the word ghetto too much anymore. But it, it was. Ghetto. It was. It was uh, the, the West End dorm. It was. It was like one of the dorms that like you traded amenities for like no supervision. <laughs> so gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> like you, you got to like do what you wanted to do. But like you know, your, your shower might not work. Kind you of lived, like that. You were in, in the dorm. You were in Freedom Land. Freedom Land, right? So he was out on his balcony playing there, and uh, just let's let's reiterate the fact that it's a. HBCU, it's Morehouse. Yeah, right. This was a dude in dreadlocks. It was probably the fall. He had on a skull cap. He was wearing some plaid, black jeans. He had on like a, a wallet and a chain and black boots, which is very like Northwestern, like Seattle grunge. He was yeah. playing Stone Temple Pilots on his cello, on his guitar. And it's a brother. And it's a brother. I mean, because okay. you know it's Morehouse, right? Yeah. So that was Morehouse. the cool thing about that at Morehouse. Wow. The best thing about being at Morehouse was that one. You got a chance to be who you wanted to be, and yeah. nobody could like really call you, call you on it, because you're at Morehouse. Right. Two, everybody knew everything. Well, not everybody knew everything, but you know, this same dude could tell you everything about like, like 1993 native tongue hip hop. Like yeah. he knew all of it, but he also liked some. We Seattle are well rounded. We are well rounded. Yes. So he was playing some Stone Temple Pilots. I like Stone Temple Pilots. I got my cello on my back. I like find my way up to like outside of his dorm room. It's kind of corny. It's weird. I know. I, I've questioned the move a couple times. Hey, when I it, sat down outside of his dorm, music. it was. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. I sat down outside of his dorm room and I was just listening. I'm not sure why he came out, but he came out for a minute and he saw me sitting down. He's like, "What are you doing?" I can get the first thing he thought was, "What, what the, the fuck?" fuck? <laughs> right. the fuck He's like, yeah, yeah. "Yeah." I was like, "Oh yeah. man, don't don't worry about me. I was just listening to you play." He's like, "Uh, okay." Weirdo. And I was like, "Why why why why, why are you sitting down listening to me like, play?" Why are you knocking the door? Yeah. Up? Why you like, like, I don't want to bother man, you. You were playing. <laughs> He's like, "Look, man, I don't, that's kind of weird." But you can come in and play. I see you got a cello. Oh, there. you had a cello. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. so here's the thing. Come on, you don't think of you don't think of contemporary music when you think of cellos. I mean, you might now, but when I was playing, you didn't. Right. Like, there were no people doing that. Right. As a matter of fact, the career I have now was not possible right. in 1993, 94 when we met. Right. Cello uh, was strictly so classical at the time. In my mm -hmm. mind, it was also that, right? I think the most contemporary thing I'd ever done was played like a pop song for some third graders. And, oh, so yeah. you never even... No, I was a classical cellist. I didn't really mess around and play contemporary stuff, but he was playing this song. He's like, why don't you come in? And come up with a part. I was like, ah, okay, why not? Came in, an hour later, I had a part. And it was a nice part to that Stone Temple Pilot song named Plush. That is the beginning, that story, that partnership between me and my boy. His name is Julian Tillery. We formed a band called Us. Is probably the most important and foundational moment of my adult artistic career. Because it's as a result of that that I would meet my wife. It's as a right. result of that that I would play with anybody I've ever really played with. It's as a result of that that I really began to kind of own my identity as an artist. Um, and it's because of that that Atlanta became my kind of artistic home. I think it's really interesting. And, and mm. correct me if I'm wrong with this, mm. but it, it feels like most people spend their lives, especially their, their young lives, trying to identify and find their passion, mm -hmm. chasing their passion. Mm -hmm. In this case, your passion picked you up and drove you where you were going. It's funny though, man. I really wish, Vince, that... I was smart enough to pay attention because <laughs> I wasn't. I I uh, I rode with my passion for a while, but I was like, ah, uh, I got to grow up. Yeah. Or, ah, uh, 
there's more lucrative things to do or right. uh, I got a family or whatever. I, I can't tell you how many times I did that between, I might have been 19 right. when I first started doing this and 40 when I really own this. So there was 20 years of wow. me playing professionally, playing with India, playing with Julian, playing with this woman named Dory Roberts, putting it down, going to DC, playing with this woman named Leah Morgan up there, putting it down, coming back, playing with this woman named Callahan down here, traveling, got it, like doing a whole bunch of stuff before I really embraced the cello, not only as my most personal right. voice, um, but as perhaps my longest, most trusted friend. Well, look, listeners, I know you thought we weren't going to get to it because today's episode's flowing different, mm. but we're getting there. Uh, we want to break into our wild black shit. And, <laughs> and today, our wild black shit is going to be very different than what you have experienced before. So I'm going to break it down, and then we're going to get into it. So normally, we ask two or three questions. Two or one, or one or two of them are comedic, and one is, uh, what do you love most about life while black? We are definitely still going to ask, though, what do you love most about life while Don't black? Don't be cheating, give them that question. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, did cheat. Forget she, you heard that, brother. Forget you, you heard that. that. What you question are you talking about? Exactly. Yeah, 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 I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. it. I like mm -hmm. it. Uh, but this time, you mentioned the cello being your most personal voice. Mm -hmm. And we want to access that voice. Yeah, let's play. So what I'm going to do is I've written a couple of scenarios. And I'm going to read these scenarios to you. And I want you to play for us and the listeners your interpretation of the feeling that the stars in these scenarios are feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do this, but I got to be honest with you. I'm having a hard time getting Tribe Called Quest scenario out of my mind. You said it like three or four times right now. And all I hear is boom, boom, boom. But I won't play that if that's not relevant to the scenario. But, you know, yeah. I said that in my head. That's what guys, comes to you. That's what came to me. Cool. So I'm going to jump in and I'm going to read scenario or situation number one. Yeah. Listen to what I say mm -hmm. and then play for me what you believe the stars of this scenario are feeling. Mm. All right. It's an early Saturday morning in Atlanta. It's about 2.15 a.m. Mm -hmm. Three 17-year-old young black men are driving back to their house. It's not raining. Not now anyway, but it was an hour ago and the roads are still slick from the oil that the rain released. So they're driving Carefully, they just want to get home safe. They're playing their music loud, but it's not blasting, and they've not broken any laws. However, they find themselves being pulled over anyway. This is the first time any of them have been in this situation, yet they've seen the scene play out many times in the media time and time again. All cars are stopped, and although the police are not yet at their doors, they're approaching the car. The young men notice that no guns are drawn, but each of the two cops who are approaching on both sides have their hands on the butt of their guns. Play for us your interpretation of what these young men are feeling.
it's wicked. Brother, That's what I think. Brother. Ooh. Now, in just a few seconds, mm -hmm. tell the listeners what you just did. I was, so there was some bass line I was playing that just made it feel like it's, you know, it's regular. We're just grooving. We're just right. moving. And then it got I felt quiet. frantic when it did. Yeah, yeah, it got quiet because then, like, that's the first thing, you know, it's like, oh, oh shit. And then there's these kind of awkward feelings. What's these, going on? What's going to happen? What's going on? These, I can't really see. And then, and then there's a, like, let's go back to being normal. It's pretty cool. And then the it's conversation cool. just goes, it just goes left all the time because, you know, they weren't doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> and then going, and then, you know, they're trying to, like, explain stuff and some of it's not landing the way it's supposed to land, you know, and, and it's just, it's one of those situations where um, the words probably don't really exist. Yeah, it's just feel. Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of where I was going. Cool. Um, I we didn't quite say exactly how it ended, so I didn't I didn't take it any place. Right. Yeah. But I just left it with some some tension. Some and, and I, I I wanted to play in that space. Because yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think the the finality that we see play out so much on TV feels like a big bang all the time. Mm -hmm. The real tension comes in the fact that we get pulled over every day and we mm, never know how it's going to end. Yeah. It's really the, it's, I mean, you know, the, the terror, right? It's obviously the impact and the outcomes, the, the horrible outcomes that we, we deal with, right? But it's the terror. Yeah. It's the it uncertainty. Is. It's the like, you know, I don't really know how this is going to happen or how, what's going to happen to it or, you know. So that's, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. All right, cool. Situation number two. Number two. Ready? Yeah. A young 26-year-old woman sits alone in a mahogany chair in the back room of an old church, while six of her closest friends buzz around excited. She is too excited, but she can't quite seem to surface those feelings yet. None of her six friends notice because while they're looking at her, they don't see her. They see her gorgeous makeup, her amazing dress, and the three-carat diamond ring she's rocking. She's in her wedding white, and while she feels more gorgeous than she has ever felt, she's also stuck deep in thought of the next 80 years. Can she give him all she wants to? Can she be the wife he needs? He is 28, and his tux, tux fits perfectly. His line is sharp, and his shoes are shining. His guys are there, but he's alone at the moment because all they can talk about is which bridesmaids going home with him tonight. He, too, is happy, but preoccupied. She deserves everything, and he feels as if he has nothing. How can he be the husband she deserves when he's not yet even sure of who he is? What are they feeling? I've actually already written this song. Oh. I wrote this song. It's called Cloudy Morn, and it's, it's almost identical to what you've described. Serendipitous. But I'm not going to play that exactly right now. I'm going to play something else. So I'm going to start with her voice, and there's a little bit of um, there's excitement. Okay. But there's also trepidation, right? You said True. there's like, there's, um... So there's something uplifting a little bit towards the end there. So right. here's the end.
Break it down. Break so, it down. Because I, I, I felt like I was with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's, there's definitely, there's a little bit of some, something similar to what she was going through, but there's a lot more certainty in his. There was some like staccato, some like, you know, I'm not sure if I can do it, but I'm, you know, I'm going to die trying. Right. I'm you know what I mean? I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put myself out there. And um, I'm going to be the man this woman deserves. Oh. Yeah. yeah that's that's kind of where I was going with that. You know what yeah, I mean? Like with some of the certainty. Like the, the like a uh, that whole idea of like that whole idea of like you know repeating it and and maybe it the over. most I'm important thing I'm gonna get it consistency, yeah. consistency. Yeah. and then and then the person that you gotta convince that it can be that it can be done most importantly is yourself right that's so it. that's, that's a, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of that mantra thing to yourself. Oh. Okay, you ready for the third one? Man, you heard hey, me. You got three. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. What you got? It's actually gonna be, it's gonna be four <laughs> questions. I'm gonna throw this last one. I, I, I got one more too. Third one. Mm-hmm. It's typically great to be home, to breathe that old familiar air, to see, talk, and laugh with family. And this time there's a lot of family around. And while from the outside it, it probably looks all typical and normal, there's nothing typical this time. There's nothing normal this time. Because this time he knows this marks the change of everything. Nothing will be the same after this trip home. Why? Because his father is dying, and he knows there won't be another conversation. There won't be another weekend, and there won't be another laugh. Not between them, at least. He's in his room, but he can't really sleep. When he hears footsteps on the stairs, he already knows the message that's about to be delivered. Your father has gone, are the words he hears his grandmother utter. He gets up. He walks down the steps to the family room where the hospice bed is set up to say goodbye one last time. He stays there by his father's side until he's taken out of the front door. How do his feelings sound? So the family is... If I had my looper, I'd loop that... joy in there because yeah. that relationship right yeah. the whole family is there yeah there's joy there's memory there's there's kind of like um there's inertia there's there's movement and then we know that that movement is coming to an end yeah 
That is, that is amazing. Yeah. So that's that's what I was thinking. All these ideas, honestly, though, I would refine if I were like actually writing them for a movie. But like, I'd record you. them like, all right, I'm gonna use this key. But yeah, like those are those are the things I'm feeling at least initially. Thank you. So so I don't know what this is, but it invokes so much emotion. It does. It and does. I don't know if it's the instrument or it's a lot the of the instrument. process around how you play what notes. That's dope. For me, I, well, I think about those situations. Like being very transparent. Situation three is me. That that's uh, that's how my father died. So I, I was hoping I could get through that one, I, and I did. But okay. Like, I, I recognized all those emotions that you were playing. So here's the thing that's interesting yeah. for me. Um, that's dope. I'm not a jazz-trained improvisationalist. Right. So improvisation is almost exclusively, at least in the Western and in the American tradition, um, a kind of a jazz thing. Now, if you're kind of like in an African tradition, there's a lot of improvisation specifically around drums and rhythm, right? But in the United States, it's jazz, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a jazz player. Most string players, most classical musicians don't get that kind of training. Right. So my doorway to in, into improvisation wasn't really through music. It was through being an English teacher. Huh. It was through, That's as I'm beginning to kind of compose on the instrument, what words, what emotions, right. what faces, what situations make sense to me right. on my instrument. Right, that makes sense. So that's that's at least my approach, right? right? So when you're reading a scenario, like I'm looking for a setting, and the setting might be tempo, it might be key, it might be that kind of thing. Right. But then I'm looking for an emotion, and I'm looking for maybe a plot for that emotion. Like, so right. where does that motion, emotion start and where does it end? Um, and sometimes I feel like I land, you know, right. where that's going to go. And sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe not. But the journey is more so about give me a world and show me how it changes. Like that's right. pretty much what music storytelling is, right? Because right. it's not just give me a world. It's that, you know, our worlds have plot. Right. Our stories have movement and our emotions have growth, right? So, you know, those are the things I'm at least trying to create to some degree when I'm playing, you know. Brother, you you, you do it, man. Thank you. Wow. Like the whole thank thing you. Of, of thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Playing emotion that's opposed to words and notes is really, really yeah, powerful. Yeah. Well, and the probably thing, why the funny, you could translate that so, those so easily. Well, the thing is, it's 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 stuff that you know. I mean, right. and, and every composer for a movie knows it, right? They know how to make you scared. Yeah. Yeah. You ever watch a movie without music? It, you, the, all the emotion is gone. What's you can, funny is when they, you can when watch they take, a horror when they take film, a scary movie and they put scary. music on it. The music is different. what makes it, but the, the composers know that there's certain notes, there's certain keys, there's certain rhythms, there's certain instruments that evoke certain emotion. And, and you can't really see the emotion on screen without the help of the, of the music because we really cue emotion almost exclusively in person. Right. Like, so when you put it in two dimensions, you get a sense of it. But like, if you were across from me and all of a sudden your face changed because you got angry, right. like, it's going to be like a full body physical thing. Right. Right. I'm going to be able to hear it and right. your breathing. Right. Like, I might be able to smell it in the way that like, you know, I might, I'm going to see it. There's all this stuff that I'm going to register. All the cues. Are that you actually can't really engage that well in two you dimensions. Know? Yeah. That is amazing. So the music brings it back. Which is also probably why mm. so many of our our memories are tied to emotions and are tied are based in music. Completely. Because I, I remember like prom to me, and I'm sorry because at the time he hadn't he was this guy, but it hadn't happened yet. R. Kelly represents my 1994 yeah. prom with yeah. my wife because yeah. I think that's all we listened to. Yeah. I don't see nothing wrong with a little bumpy grind. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, mother-in-law. Yeah. But that's 
<laughs> that was the soundtrack for 1994. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the thing that is really beautiful about music for me is that, um, you know, when we talk, right. the words we think are kind of like 80% of the communication, right? Right. But the reality is we're actually making music with yeah. our voice. And we know that someone is lying to us when the words don't match the music. Yeah. That's a dope way to put it. When the words and the body language don't match the music, there's a congruence in our communication in the almost everything that we do. But the moment that we're trying to deceive someone, one of those three things in most people is off. And what's so powerful about music is that it amplifies what's already there when we're talking. It kind of just turns up the volume on all the emotion and all the communication that's there. And it gives you like a kind of a musical frame of reference for what is kind of just quiet underneath of the words. But it's there. You know what I mean? That's that's the reason why like if if you get a ballad words and you put it over some like some like death metal, you're like, nah, that's that's that not it. that's not it. That's not right, that that's not work. that's not what I'm usually right. that's not what I'm communicating, right? Right, right. But you know, the right soft, sweet song. Right is really only teasing out what you're thinking or what you're feeling or what's kind of in the music of your communication already. Right. I love where this interview is going. This is so dope. Yeah. All right, I, want, I want to hit you with our signature question. Uh-oh, quick. here we go. Am I playing or talking? Do you, do you use Both. whatever Both. voice however you want to do? Let me see, let me see, let me see. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. One is, this one is a critical. Yeah, 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 critical, yeah. So what do you love most about life while black? Mm. Man, I'm scared of this question because I don't want to say any of the stereotypical things, but I can't tell you how much I love rhythm. I can't tell you how much I, I love beating on things. I can't love, like, and, and one of the things that's very real to me, like, I grew up in D.C. Right. And so, you know, every little boy in D.C. learns how to, like, play go-go. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And for me, that's like a birthright. Yeah. That's a birthright. And it's a very real thing. And I think of it as a very real black thing, a black boy thing. Because I, I run endless. into, like, Boys in Atlanta who like beating on desks. I run into yeah. boys everywhere. That there's something about that rhythm, something about yeah. that percussion. Yeah, I agree. So what I like about kind of my body, what I like about blackness, what I like about like you know being raised in a black church, what I like about being able to like in that black church also engage classical music and jazz and all that kind of stuff like that. What I like about being in my black body is the way that I relate to life and music. Right. Because I feel like in so many ways. That's one of the most beautiful gifts on the planet that I don't really think a lot of other cultures and traditions have as richly right. or, or kind it's of so it's, deep it's so us. deep, right? You know what I mean? And so so there's that. That's one of the things that I really like. You know, I don't know that this is as squarely about being black, but it is about where I grew up. Okay. And when I grew up. Right. Um, DC, eighties, uh, nineties, backdrop of crack. Right. Um, neighborhoods really started to change a lot. Right. There's a lot of tragedy there. Uh, right. There's a lot of people that um, were victims, people I knew who, you know, either got caught up in the system or died. I had a cousin that got shot. Um, Sorry. But the reality is that uh, growing up in that space gave you a toughness, a temerity, um, yeah. a resilience. Yeah. At least in certain situations. Yeah. For those of us who are lucky to... To make it through. Right. That... Um, I don't, I don't have to like wear it on my sleeve all the time. Right. Yeah. But when it's necessary, pull it right out. I know I can call. I mean, I, I call on it. Right. You know, and it um, 
sometimes it's the difference between my safety and not. Sometimes it's just uh, my confidence and my certainty right. about the world and where I am and what's beneath my feet, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of things that are situational, that are generational, that are regional. In this country, where to be a black man has always been, um, in some ways, a contest. Right. How do you survive? Yeah. How do you negotiate? Yeah. Um, some people have healthy, successful completions of that contest, right? Some yeah. of us don't always get that. Yeah. But that game teaches you something. It does. That my peers at white private schools didn't really have. Indeed. Indeed. I've got two daughters now and a wonderful, loving wife. And there's a lot of life that doesn't necessarily need that energy all the time. Right? Yeah. But there's some parts of life that do. Yeah. And um, I'm thankful that I have that preparation. And the beautiful thing is, is we can move seamlessly between, between them. those two. We, we've got... Yeah. Our, we yeah, can, we yeah, can do it. Yeah, we, we got yeah. our, our Hulk and our, and our Batman. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And a whole lot more in between. And a whole lot more in between. But those are, those, are, those are some things that I, I really appreciate. Um, I think the other thing that I, I really like about, about the last 40 years is that the American story is the black story. Yes. Now, I think it probably always has been. But I'm a big believer right now in that kind of the traditional Marlboro man stories that America once upon a time like hung its hat on. It's just they're gone. Not the story. Anymore. Just it's yeah. not the story. Yeah. It's just Yo, it's undeniable. And, and it's not now. it's not to say that those folks don't exist and I'm not throwing shade at anybody. I'm just like right. I mean we've we've seen the John Wayne thing and right. it's, it's just but I do know that um you know everything from Everything from Minister Society to Moonlight. Right. That's a good way to put it. These are American stories right now. Yeah. Right? These are redefining the experience and the identity. Right? Absolutely. And, and I know for a fact that we're nowhere near the ceiling on those stories. Not at all. Um, I, I love I, it. I love yeah, it. I love yeah. where you're going those are the, Those are the stories that I think are going to redefine how people understand heroism. Right. It's like, I think about it like culture as a representation of the people. Yeah, and, yeah. And right now, and even before it was recognized, yeah. black people set that culture. It yeah. was often stolen, but now it's undeniable. And on top of that, it's exported out of the country. It is moved and weaved all through the country. I mean, just think about what we see on TV, every commercial yeah. now, everything we see looks and sounds like us. It's this, it's, I mean, and, and for America, quote unquote, which yep. is the cradle of liberty and all that kind of right. stuff like that. <laughs> the reality is like hip hop is the soundtrack of liberation across the globe right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for what the future of American is. Yeah. And I feel very connected to it. I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and I also think that the level of excitement that we feel also fuels all the pushback that we see. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and I'm not blind. I don't want anyone to listen to this and be like, um, do you know that Trump's president? And do you, I mean, I, no, I'm, I'm acutely aware of right. this uh, pushback. Get it. They get but it. I also do believe 
you know, call me unnecessarily optimistic on this one, but these are the last few dying gasps of Absolutely. that kind of mm-hmm. dominance, Eurocentric, yeah. white would, supremacy would, kind would, of thing. I would absolutely agree with you. Yeah. yeah. The, the anxiety. The, the last attempt. Yeah. The, the, the anxiety, you can see it in the energy. You can see it in the anxiousness and the nervousness, right? I tell people all the time that it, when you when you corner a stray dog is mm-hmm. when it gets the most aggressive. Oh, yeah. When when there's no way out. Yeah. When, when yeah. they see what's happening, that's when they bite. That's yeah. when they get aggressive. Yeah. And that's what we see what manifesting yeah. in our culture right now. It is the the last bastion, if you will, of those people yeah. who represent that. And granted, some of them have influence and power, but they're biting back. They're yeah. barking. Yeah. And yeah. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes well, it hurts. And what I also know is that there are people like me who aren't going back. That's right. That's right. <laughs> let's just be That's real. Right. Let's be real clear about it. Like, Indeed. <laughs> Wild <laughs> black <laughs> listeners, y'all just heard that. That's like a message me, for everybody. When I That's going right. back. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm cautiously observant of the emergency and the urgency in this country. It's very real. And there's no way I'm going to lay back and relax on it. That's not what I'm saying. Absolutely. Right. But yeah. what I am saying is, there's no way we want We ain't going back. Right, don't get it's not it possible. twisted. <laughs> it's not possible. It's just, uh, you know, regardless of whether it's possible or not, it's not happening. Right, it's not going It's not going, <laughs> it's not I'm not going yeah. back. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not, we're right. just not, we're not going back. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to live in that, in that truth. I'm excited to live in that ownership. I'm excited to live in that confidence. Cool. Um, and that doesn't in any way, shape, or form deny the tragedy and the horror, especially that those of us who are being oppressed every day by um, cradle to prison pipelines, yeah. those of us who are being oppressed by like generations of um, disadvantage from redlining and lack of opportunity. I mean, like I'm not, yeah. I don't, I, I don't want it to be right. flipped in some way. Like anything. I'm not, I'm not sleeping. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just, I just yeah, yeah, real. yeah, yeah. I'm very real with that. I just believe we're bigger and better, <laughs> and you know, doesn't doesn't feel that way right now, but it's coming. It's so coming. Our episode is this is so different. I love it. This is gonna be yeah. so dope. Yeah. Cool, man. I'm so, glad y'all had me on this thing, man. This has been we, fun. We we always do a dope quote. Yeah, and I want to throw it in here, just because of of everything you've played, all the emotion that you mm-hmm. played, like. I feel like it kind of it kind of captures that. So the dope quote for today is this. Music does a lot of things for a lot of people. It's transporting for sure. It can take you right back to the very moment certain things happen in your life. It's uplifting, it's encouraging, and it's strengthening. And that's by Miss Aretha Franklin. What do you what do you think about that? You know, I've been thinking about Aretha Franklin a lot, especially since she passed. Right. Um, and I believe every bit of it. I think the thing that I've been uh, really engaging and wrestling with is um, music as a truth language. I really think it's hard to lie right. and play music, right? Because I think it, it accesses parts, I think, of your soul and your experience and your brain that are um, too powerful for you to manipulate. Right. You know what I mean? So I think what I, what I hear her saying is... Um, that there's a certain power and a strength to like memory and meaning making that music has. But what I also hear in her music is that, um, you know, so much of the, the black tradition in this country is recognizing the beauty of surviving 
truly catastrophic right. circumstances, right? Right. Um, and like we said, not everybody survives, but those of us who do have done something usually pretty powerful and right. strong. And those of us who not only do, but then live to not only tell about it, but to write about it or to sing about it. Right. And if we have that facility, we sometimes make something really beautiful and powerful, right? So the things that are so evident in Aretha's music and her voice is that she's, she's lived a really difficult, complex life, especially a young life, right? Right. And um, not to say that there weren't some really beautiful and joyful things. I'm sure she would say there were, right? But the pain and the difficulty of her narrative and her biography is very real and very intense. And in her music, and what's so beautiful about her music is that you can hear that pain, but you can also hear the transcendent quality of her melody and her performance. And that for me is music, right? That for me is the, you know, I think music and comedy have a lot in common and that they are real life human examples of our triumph over tragedy. Right. 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 Um, And that's also what she's saying in that quote to me. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree completely. So, What do you think, brother? (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to add anything to that. Mm. I I need to let that Let that be the last. Okay, cool. I like that. I like that. It's cool, man. Thank you. I want to ask you Can I just say for the listeners how cool it is to be talking with a Vince... (laughs) And in art, <laughs> the names of my maternal grandfather, Vincent, and the name of my wife's maternal grandfather, Artley. Yeah. So I feel like there's something very um, divine and purposeful. We're supposed to be. As a matter of fact, if, if my wife and I had had a son, we were going to name that son Artley Vincent. So here I am sitting with Vincent that's Art, up. which is kind of <laughs> that's kind of deep. That's, that's real deep. You got to tell your wife that with you. Yeah, I will. I will. I'll definitely tell her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the things that I saw on your website that mm. I, I thought was cool was <laughs> you, you talk about this commitment to tell stories, of course, via your cello mm-hmm. of the African diaspora. Right? Mm-hmm. So the question I want to ask is, how, how do you use an instrument that's so unknown to us mm-hmm. so beautifully as a vessel to tell those stories? Well, you know, it's funny, like the instruments that we use right now at one point in time were largely unknown, right? Right. True. I mean, like, um, the whole idea of black music is the idea of swallowing the drum. Right. Right. So they took the drum away. West Africa, the drum was a very real part of culture. Right. And communication, but you, they couldn't have people communicating. Right. So one of the things that you hear ethnomusicologists talk about is the way that the drum specifically was absorbed into the rhythm and the syncopation of our music. Right. And... Long before we had a relationship to the instruments, we had a relationship to the elements of music, right. to the syncopation, to the particular pentatonic scale, the minor and the, and the major pentatonic scale that we brought from across the water. Right. We had a relationship to the form of song, like call and response, right? right. We had a relationship to um, the way that melody could carry emotion, right? The way that it could not only carry, but it could also be an opportunity for you to exercise emotion. It was a, uh, it was catharsis for emotion. Um, it was not exclusively an intellectual exercise. You know, black music isn't commissioned by crowns to 
demonstrate the glory of the municipality, right? Which right. I think there's a lot of classical music. That that's the point. And so right. if, if the point is for me to demonstrate with my money and my power and influence how great I am, then it might be wonderful technically and intellectually, yeah. right? But I'm not sure that it necessarily is going to grab people's heartstrings. But like, you know, a field holler, you know, which is a song that has the capacity to allow the person singing it to get through very difficult circumstances. Right. It's going to be just so imbued with that experience. And that's a black experience. That's a West African experience. And it doesn't really matter on what instrument you do that. So in some ways, the actual instrument isn't really all that important. Right. Um, right. This happens to be my instrument. Right. right? Um, but people do it on the piano, right? People do it yep. on the guitar. Yeah. People do it on the saxophone. Um, people do it on all three of those are European instruments, certainly with African roots, but you know, right? right. So I guess what I'm getting at is it is unique in the sense that there just aren't a ton of black men doing it. It is um, to some degree odd because those other instruments, at least for generations now have been absorbed as one American and two, in some instances, black American, right? Right. Um, cello just hasn't. Yeah, I, this is a strange thing. You know, it's a good thing to say on a, on a podcast that's really exploring blackness and kind of its particularities. But I come from uh, a middle-class family, right. middle-middle-class, maybe lower-middle-class family in Washington, D.C., um, a faction of which played ice hockey. Two two points of difference yeah, yeah, for most yeah, yeah. Like, young African American children. Not, wow. We're not talking like country club folk. We're not talking about you know about lived talking in yeah yeah like yeah that's that's you know yeah. from great from uh, age of four and up until about twelve or thirteen I played hockey. Two of my cousins played hockey. Three of my cousins my age played hockey, and then two older cousins played hockey. They got scholarships. They didn't end up being able to take advantage of them, but that was just a thing that we did. So. I, I grew up across the street from a black junior high school where there was a basketball court, there was a football field, there was a baseball diamond. There were some tennis courts too, right? right? But like those were the sports that all the boys in my neighborhood played. And I played them. But on Saturday mornings, I woke up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock and made my way to an ice rink and played ice hockey. So my life has been that traveling back and forth right. between those spaces. And not being confused about who I was. Right. right. Not being confused about the fact that I have a very singular narrative right. with perhaps a variety of different, of, a variety of different expressions. Right. But, you know, I'm pretty clear about being the son of Brendan Johnson. You were confident in Yeah, yeah. You. you know, I'm not, I'm not confused about that. I'm not confused yeah. about the neighborhood where I come from. I'm not confused about the community to which I belong. Or, or more important, I'm not confused about the tradition. Right. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't expressions of the tradition that are accessible but unfamiliar. Right. I think that's just kind of what this is. I know we're getting close on time. Yeah, right? yeah. But I got a question for you. What's that? Um, and I don't know if we should end it with this question or if we got more. Mm. Well, if you think it's N-worthy, I'm going to ask one what? and a half questions. and then Because it oh. sounds like it's N-worthy it, question. It might be. Okay. It mm. might be. Because we went to the future. But yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll do this. Mm. As I was thinking about music, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times, especially for me, music is a conversation, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a conversation that's tied to that memory that's based in the music. We, we kind of touched that already. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I know for sure is that all people talk, mm -hmm. but most people don't listen or hear, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So 
it makes me think that listening and hearing is a, is a skill that has to be practiced, mm-hmm. taught, and mastered, right? So how do you tell or teach people to listen to the cello, mm-hmm. to the music that you put out? Because I, I do think a lot of us fall into that camp of, oh, I just don't get it. I don't understand that. So, you know, that ain't, that ain't I really, instrument. I fall, right. I've yeah. fought the classical community on this one. Okay. Right? I've got this radical idea. I'm, I, it's being said here on your program first. If it, ha- right. if it happens, then we want to, we want, all of us get to like sp- split some royalties. On love this it, love right? it. So let's be real. Sports are not accessible. True. And the reason why we know they're not accessible is because there's a half, a, half the world, another gender in many instances, that doesn't get the introduction to the sport very, in- right. very frequently that men do. And they're kind of like, what is that? Why are we doing it? But it can be accessible through commentators. True. Right? So, you know, I don't watch regular season sports because it's a big commitment. Like regular season baseball, regular season basketball. There's like thousands of games. Like that's a lot. But I can watch playoff games. And the reason why I can watch playoff games is because some sportscaster is going to give me the entire story. They're going to tell me who to look out for. They're going to tell me what the like angle is for this team. They're going to set it up. Right. And, and if I'm, you know, if I want it, I can get play by play. Right. But the thing that's interesting with art, especially, is that they don't do that. They assume that you come to it knowing what you need to know. Right. And that's kind of the hard thing. Right. I really think that if someone could sit down and play Beethoven's fifth and before they play Beethoven's music, talk about him as like, yo, this was the rock star. This was the bad boy of the right. classical world. And here's how and why he was a bad boy. That little bomb, 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 bomb is kind of like a middle finger to like the way that like people wrote oh. music back in the day. Cause it's this tiny little phrase, right? And, right. and most phrases are long and right. But it's like, bomb, 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 bomb. Like if you think about the attitude that's in it, like it's really kind of hip, uh, like hip hop and gangster anyway. Right. But someone gives you that narrative on how to listen to <laughs> Beethoven, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now, now it's different. Yeah. Yeah. I've it always thought that for people who are not classical music aficionados, mm-hmm. that it would be cool if they went to the symphony and they could have separate headphones where they could That's actually have commentators commentators interpreting real time what's happening. I would right? fuck with that. You know that what I'm saying? So I would fuck because with that. the reality is. The, the, the general idea that classical music is just beautiful and it's exalted and da, 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 it's really like that's super simple and super superficial. And we know that any artist that creates something brings the entirety and the fullness of their life to that creation. And all those pieces have that, that specificity to it, right? So there are ways of providing the context that you really only get if you go to music school or you only right. get if you become a composer, only get if you become an ethnographer. Um, so I think you can give people an opportunity or an invitation to listen to an instrument like this simply by giving them context. Now, my music is not traditional in the sense that, you know, a lot of cellists play either classical music or they play classically influenced music. Some right. of my stuff is classically influenced. But for me, the reason why I think people who aren't classical musicians come and they, or classical supporters or appreciators, they enjoy my music. Right. It's because I give you an entry point. I give you a context. Like, here's where I was when I wrote this song. Here are the voices. Here's the plot. Here's the play. Here's the and play. here's the here's and the that's it. That's the comment. And yeah. that's it. And then once you get that, you're like, oh, 
Uh-huh. Uh, it is so much more it makes, rich. It is. But my, my daughter um, doesn't really like sports. My oldest daughter. But she has a boyfriend now. She's 16. Boyfriend plays baseball. Right. She's learning about baseball. Of course. Yeah. And absolutely. I'm not going to say she loves baseball, but she has a greater appreciation for it now than she did before because and it's context. Yep. And, that, and, and that's, that's all this stuff is. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not super foreign. It's yeah. just, it has been um, kept away from people. Yeah, I love it. That's it. That's, it. That's, that's, that's pretty much what it has been. And, and when people break it down and they get the, they take the pretension out and all that kind of stuff like that, then it's much more accessible than you think. Yeah. You know, the, the, the biggest barrier to classical music is that it just takes a long time. <laughs> like it, the pieces are like 20 and 30 and 40 minutes, right? So there's that long focus, but literally it's digestible. It's accessible. It's not any different than what you engage when you go to a movie. I also think the fact that mm-hmm. there's a lot of classical music that people will recognize mm-hmm. and they don't know they recognize. Like it's a uh, Yo-Yo Ma's, it's, I, it's from one of his live albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the one, like, you hear, like, anytime the bad guy walks in the room. Yeah, 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 you hear what, all that stuff. What kind is of it stuff. called? I listen to I don't it know if, I don't know that, but I know you know this from your mom. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, absolutely. Anyway, so I think the thing that's really interesting about, you know, all that stuff is that a lot of classical music we heard when we were watching cartoons in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And that's the same recycled stuff that they showed in the 70s and 80s and 90s, right? I listen to it all the time. Um, you know, so we're, we're familiar with it. And it is how the contemporary movie composers learned to write music. So they, they studied those scales. They studied what it does to people, you know. So you're listening uh. to classical music. When you watch a movie, and not even doing this, and not even really thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, influenced we're by being completely. Movies. You know what I think is dope? What's that? I didn't know that what I would consider radical or what you consider radical, yeah. right? Was that? I didn't even I love like, that's, that's the middle finger. Like, damn. I mean, like, I, mean it, I want you to me a different appreciation your database. Now. now, I don't know if you're big classical music fans, but think of one other musical theme. That's that short and has that much attitude. They're all long. They all flow. Yeah. yeah. And, they're, and, and they like, all defer. Right? Like, That's dope. Okay. And, and, and it has the like distinction of being made a disco tune, right? Like, there's a fifth of Beethoven. So, I mean, it's it's a big deal. Like, it's a, it's a really big deal, especially because in the same way that, like, you know, hip-hop and R&B are all, like, dialectic or conversational in the sense that, like, one song refers to the next or the mm-hmm. one previous, right? It's really a conversation. Um, and so when you listen to a song out of context, you think, oh, it's either great or it's strange, but you don't understand all the, like, six songs that went before it. His is, is, the, is the same way, but his is, like, a decided, like, disagreement. It's like... Oh no! I'm going in a completely different way. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> See, that's right? That's I, I mean, that's that's you know. Right. So I don't know. I know. I know you got a question you want to close. I just want to say, as I was listening, I'm, I'm looking so I can get the names right. Improvisation, meditation, incredulous, and I wonder what your life was like. Yeah. I was. I, I was on that loop just yeah. over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And over. I love. I wonder what your life is like. I don't play it a ton. And shows just because I'm thinking a lot about the tempo and keeping it upbeat. But right. sometimes when I play an intimate house show, I'll play. I wonder what your life is like. Oh, excuse me about that. Are you good? Um, but I wonder what your life was like is a song I wrote when I got a chance to do an artist residency in Raven Gap, Georgia for the right. Hambitch Center for the Arts. Right. And um, 
the Hambidge Center for the Arts is named for a woman named Mary Hambidge, who was a uh, a woman, a white woman, textile um, kind of uh, super successful businesswoman. Right. Right. Um, and she owns this big property. She owned, because she's been dead for many years now, but she owned in the early part of the century this big property. I don't know everywhere, but I know maybe in New York, certainly in northern Georgia, where she made textiles. Right. And people were really excited about the Hambidge fabric that you could get. Right. Well, she was born around the turn of the century, maybe even a little bit early, earlier than the turn of the century. And her mother died shortly after she was born. And she was born to a Southern family that prior to Civil War had slaves. And I think there was a woman there who uh, stayed on with that family after emancipation. Right. Um, and her name was Mammy Smith. And right. they apparently thought a lot of her. There's some complicated narratives around how they talk about Mamie Smith, but I think not, not that anyone talking about it is talking about her like derisively or anything like that, but, but just in general, like there's some unpacking that I think I would love to do more about Mamie Smith. But there's this picture of her. They, they preserved Mary Hambage's cabin on this property. And that's where all the artists, you get a cabin to yourself and it's in the middle of nowhere and it's dark and it's like a tenth of a mile between you and the next cabin. There's no Wi-Fi, there's no nothing. You just, you and your art, you know, whatever you do. Anyway, so they, they kept this one cabin and they give you a kind of a talk and a tour of the cabin of Mary Hamburg's cabin. And there's this picture of Mammy Smith standing with her hands on her hip in front of an Atlanta house with this look of iron in her face. Um, and she's just absolutely intriguing. Like, I don't know whether she's happy. I can't really tell whether she's sad. She looks strong. Um, I don't want to romanticize her strength because it's the world in early 19th century, right? right. I don't want to say that, she, you know, it, it, it's early 20th century, I'm sorry. Um, so I don't want to romanticize it, but I saw that picture and of all the things that they preserved about Mary Hambidge's life, that was the thing that captured my attention. And I wonder what your life was like, was me writing a conversation to her. That's awesome. Really trying to understand, you know, what am I seeing in your eyes? Is there strength there? Is that strength that I'm seeing? Is that happiness at times? Like, but I'm sure that there's darkness. And, and more than her voice coming back to me, it's really me talking to that picture. Um, and so that's what I mean by I'd really try to embed narrative into my songs. I'm going to go back and listen to that. Yeah, again. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Now you have a higher appreciation. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. brother will. For me, that's commentating, right? Yeah, that's the story. Absolutely. That's give me yep. the story for the song. Yeah, that is and so now dope. I can, you know. Yeah. So you know what? I've been thinking about the future and I've been thinking about um as you as you entered, you shared that you had two girls. Mm. Right. I also have two girls, mm. which I, I think is an amazing gift from God to mm -hmm. be able to raise two amazing girls, mm -hmm. right? Um my man Vince has a, a girl and a boy, mm. which I think is also amazing mm -hmm. that we get this gift of of being able to really help people help little people, right, that become big people, that become, you know, mm -hmm. productive individuals that are African-Americans in the world. And when I think about that, I say, man, I wonder what, because that instrument and how you manipulate and how you make that instrument do what it does with emotions, mm -hmm. how would you inspire the future generation, Ooh, the generation. Right, like, right now, like, like as you think of it, I just want you to know, y'all, y'all put me on the spot five or six times. Look, that's what happens when you hit home runs. Right? Ah, ah, yeah. All right, 
right, so we're talking. And your talking. daughter can appreciate that because yeah. she learned a little bit about baseball. Yeah, so. right. There it is. There it is. So I'll put all our business out there too now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're talking. How do I? What do I? Well, you know, I say to my daughters a lot. I do say I'm excited for the future for them, for women especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for. I'm excited for what we do to American life and culture in the next 20 to 30 years. Like I'm, I'm excited about things not going back. You know what I mean? I'm excited about them realizing that they're not going back. Yep. Um, I'm excited about the fact that they carry the equivalent of universities in their pockets if they so decide to use them in that way. Right. Right. That's a big deal. Right. That, that that's huge. a, um, I am excited about the idea of diaspora for my daughters because I want them to understand that they are American, they are black American, they're African American, whatever iteration they were comfortable with, but they belong to an African diaspora, which means that they have kind of cultural communities in Brazil. They have communities. My my wife is Jamaican in Jamaica. They have communities in London. They have communities in in Lagos, they have communities in, uh, you know, even though South Africa, you know, that they, the world is their kind of cultural um, home too. And I want them to embrace that. I want them to really get excited about that. And so if there's anything I want to talk with young black children about, um, I really want to encourage them. I want to challenge them to be expansive in the way that they imagine their future and their identity. And I don't want them to neglect or to leave anything that is native and home and comfortable and familiar, right? Because we need those things too. Right. But there's something for them in Prague as much as there is in Trenton. Right. Right? Right. And I want them to feel that way. There's something for them in Addis Ababa, right? Right. There's something for them in Tokyo. There's something in them and something for them in Havana. Like I'm really excited about Havana lately, just like the connection of like Spanish and African culture. And I firmly believe that some of the solutions for the challenges that we will, that we face here will be found elsewhere. Yes. We will go elsewhere and we will learn and we will become and we will come back. And we will see those challenges and those obstacles and even those monsters differently mm. and have different facility for negotiating them. So that's all of what I would love to be in that song, right? All of that is kind of what I would love to be in that song. Uh, inspiring and expansive. Those are the two words that like I think of. So let's see if I can... If I can mess with that.
That's what I got. I need want that to end. <laughs> That's what I got. Wow. I and maybe it's wow. because I'm a father, a parent, mm. but that piece, mm-hmm. even more so than the one that was so personally about mm-hmm. me and mm-hmm. my father, that that's mm. the one. And I think it's because as much as I love my father, mm-hmm. he represents part of my part of me and my past. But mm-hmm. that just felt like everything moving forward for for my children. Mm-hmm. Those next time, that was real. Okay, that was powerful. My <laughs> girls will listen to that. Yeah, my girls will listen to that. All right. That's amazing. Wild Black. Man. Wild Black. Ain't nothing else to say after that. I hope y'all enjoyed it. I hope it opens your mind. You find yourself in a new space. Please appreciate it. Please go learn. Go hit up OKCello at OKCello.com. And I want to thank Mr. O'Corey, OKCello Johnson, for blessing us. All right. Thank y'all, man. Peace, peace, peace. Thank y'all. Appreciate it.